Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. This is Season 8, Episode 24. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today I'm talking with Allison Walsh, who is an author who began cooking as a way to stretch her post-college paycheck. From there, she had a love of cooking that grew and grew. In 2014, she combined her love of food and books into Allison's Wonderland Recipes a website, which we're going to talk about in the interview. This was a food blog dedicated to book-inspired recipes, and they're wonderful. Her recipes have been featured in the Good Morning America website and MuggleNet, a Harry Potter-devoted um, website. She's the author of The Literary Tea Party, which placed fourth in the 2018 Goodreads Choice Awards cookbook category. She lives in Northern Illinois with her husband and two wee hobbits. I really had a good time talking with Allison. It was fun getting to talk to somebody who shares an enthusiasm for uh, food and books. I know that uh, when I read the Roald Dahl books, um, they always talked about food, and I was so gratified when they eventually came out with a Roald Dahl cookbook. And likewise, when uh, many Harry Potter fans uh, started coming up with concoctions, and I got to make butterbeer for my kids, it was really fun. If you like that sort of thing like I do, you're going to love this interview, and as well, Allison's uh, books. We're going to go right to this uh, interview, and I know you're going to like it. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today I'm talking with Allison Walsh, who is a food writer who's written many wonderful books um, about the food in um, literature. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, when I talk to food writers and cookbook authors, I find there's a constant among them that they have a cooking mentor, somebody that was influential to them um, throughout their life or when they were younger. Did you have anybody that uh, kind of was a cooking mentor to you as you were growing up? Yeah, um, my my mom is a really good cook and it was always really important to her growing up that we like sit down and have a home cooked meal for dinner every night. And I still kind of lean on her for advice when I'm writing my cookbooks. I'll, I'll go to her and say like, if you were to read this in a cookbook, like how would you expect this information to be presented? Or like, how, how big would you want this serving size to be? And she's, she's always been like really supportive and really great about it. You talk in your work about tea parties and I've always been captivated and in love with the idea of them. I love the British high tea. I love tea myself. I have millions of teapots and tea cups, et cetera. Um, Where did your infatuation with tea parties begin? Um, I grew up very much in a tea drinking family. Um, both my parents drink lots of tea. Me and my siblings were brought up with it. Um, even my my grandmother would hold little tea parties with like me and my sister when we were little. And when I grew up and have, had a daughter, she gave me like the the little tea set um, to to use with with my daughter. So it's always like very much been a part of like the culture of of my family. Many of us bibliophiles spend some time thinking about the food in books, or at least I do. Uh, when I read like The Lord of the Rings, I was I kept thinking, well, what does Lembus taste like? And I thought about the food that the hobbits cooked quite a bit. And, you know, in line with the wardrobe, we're all like, what is Turkish delight? What is it like? What captivated you early on when you were reading uh, books uh, and, and started thinking about the food in them? That's a really good question. And it, it's actually kind of funny because for me, those things like almost, it was a gradual progression because they almost developed separately. Um, like I've 
always loved to read. I've always been a really big reader. And I didn't really get into cooking until college. And when I started cooking a lot and really enjoying it, like all my friends and family were telling me that I should start a food blog. And so when I decided to do it, I wanted a way to kind of differentiate it and make it unique. And I thought, oh, I can combine these two things together. I can do food from books. And it wasn't until I decided to do that and I started to get to have those experiences that I realized like how satisfying it is to actually like eat the thing that you're currently reading about in, in real life. So it, it's funny how it kind of, it was two separate things that sort of converged. I know that in fandom, oftentimes things get often hotly debated. I know for Lord of the Rings fans, they can start really, I mean, I've been in arguments that almost resulted in physical blows about Lembus. <laughs> and don't even get me started on the Hogwarts stuff. I've had people yell at me, you know nothing of butterbeer. So have you ever <laughs> engaged in any debates like that about some of the food that you've written about? Um, people do get like really passionate. That was something I realized really quickly when I started blogging is that people have a strong emotional connection to the things that they read about. And so I try to be really respectful of it and, and really careful. And I, I try not to engage in things that are being too hotly debated because I'm probably not gonna change anybody's mind <laughs> on the internet. And, and sometimes it really is just the case of like two people wanting different things out of, out of the food or imagining it differently. And, and that's okay, like there's, there's room for both. <laughs> yeah. You created a website, Allison's Wonderland Recipes. And I know, I know like many people, you know, oftentimes you'll create a website and you really won't know where it's gonna go or what the feedback will be like. What was it like when you began the website and started publishing the recipes on it? Um, when I first started, I knew for sure that I wanted to approach it like I was developing like a marketable skill. I knew that I wanted to get better at cooking. I wanted to develop a, a higher level of skill in that. And this was how I was gonna do it. So I wanted to take a very like very structured approach to it. Um, I had a few like goals in mind. Like one thing I really wanted was to be someday able to work with like either like a famous person or a famous group, like someone who, who I knew who I could go, oh my gosh, I worked with this person. And that actually happened, um, I wanna say my first or second year of blogging, um, I got contacted by MuggleNet and they said, oh, we're opening like a recipe portion of our website. Can we feature some of your recipes on it? And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I was so, so excited. Um, and that was, I think the first time that I realized I was kind of onto something and this might be a little bit bigger than I had originally imagined. So that was really fun. Your book, A Literary Tea Party Blends and Treats for Alice, Bilbo, Dorothy, Joe, and Book Lovers Everywhere came out in 2018. Can you talk about this book and the conceptualization that you brought to the publishers? And how did you feel about the publishing process with this book, which is your first work? Um, it was a little unique because they actually contacted me first and said, do you want to do a cookbook? And so I pitched them a few different ideas. Um, a lot of people don't know this, that publishing a cookbook 
is almost a little bit backwards than publishing other books because typically you would draft a manuscript and edit a manuscript. You'd, you'd probably seek like representation for an, through an agent and stuff like that. And then typically the agent would query the book to the publishers. And then with a cookbook, you actually pitch an idea and then the publisher approves the idea and then you send them a like a draft table of contents, they approve the table of contents, and then you start like actually writing the recipes. Um, but it was it was a big learning experience the first time around. Um, learning how like the process was different than writing like a like a traditional fiction or nonfiction book. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. I, a literary tea party has a lot of really wonderful recipes in it, but you know, not sometimes when you're writing recipes, they could be challenging. Was there any that were more challenging than the others? Yes, probably the, my white whale was the Turkish delight because even though the, the recipe itself went really well and it worked well, it kept fusing to the pan and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And I tried, I tried everything I could think of. I tried coating the pan with different things. I tried putting tinfoil in the pan and then coating the tinfoil and trying to get it out of the tinfoil. And it just, I would basically just have to saw part of it off and, and leave it in the tin. And I eventually had to change the way I made it. I, I found a, a method of making Turkish delight where you actually boil the um, gelatin with like the hot sugar syrup, which I hadn't seen before. Typically you bloom it separately. And so I tried it that way and, and that was a lot easier to work with. And so, so that, that kind of saved the Turkish delight. Um, the other one was actually Eeyore's birthday cake um, because it is an angel food cake. And it's, it's not that hard. It's just, I personally always struggle with folding flour into things. <laughs> I, it seems like no matter how long I go, I never do it enough. <laughs> I always have bumps in it. Um, so that, that one took me several tries to get right. I actually made a chiffon cake a couple of weeks ago and I had to make that twice because it uses the same folding method. And I'm so afraid of over folding it because I know that'll, that'll beat the bubbles out of it and you won't get a rise. And the first time I, I didn't fold it long enough. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. I... Now I myself love Turkish delight. And if I buy a big box of it, I'll get sick on it. But a lot of people are very unfamiliar with it. Do you think a lot of people when they cook it or make it, they're disappointed and they're like, Eustace sold out his family for this? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard uh, someone say once, they're like, I just realized that like Narnia was set during World War II and there were sugar rations. Like, no wonder Edmund yeah. was like crazy of his Turkish delight. 
<laughs> because it, it's so sweet and so sugary. Um, yeah. I, I do think it's, it's a candy texture that a lot of people are like not familiar with. It's not what you would expect. And I think too, the traditional rose flavors can be off-putting for some people because a lot of people kind of associate that with like a soapy flavor. Um, the one in, in my recipe is lemon flavored, which is a, a little bit like if you're new to Turkish delight, it's a little bit more approachable and, and a, a little bit less scary than trying like a whole new flavor of something that you may not be familiar with. In tune with the season right now, um, you, your second book is a literary holiday cookbook, Festive Meals for the Snow Queen, Gandalf, Sherlock, Scrooge, and Book Lovers Everywhere. That came out in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, what did you want to say with this book that differentiated it from your first book? Since the holidays are a time when like lots of people have these big, like fancy sit down meals. And that's when we like kind of pull out all the stops and make like our, our most impressive food. Uh, that's when I really wanted to, to push myself with this book and kind of like flex the skills that I had. But at the same time, I wanted to keep the recipes very approachable. That's been really important to me throughout my whole kind of cooking journey. Since I'm not just writing books for people who like to cook, I'm also writing them for people who like to read and want to eat the things that they're reading about. I don't want a high level of cooking skill to be a prerequisite for using the book. So I wanted to have these like fancier recipes, but I wanted to make the steps really easy to follow. And I also wanted to kind of add in recipes that are a little bit simpler so that since these are full menus of food that are all designed to be served together, you might be making five things, but not all of those five things like take a really long time and have lots of steps. Some of them are simpler or can be made ahead. Sherlock Holmes as an inclusion may be a surprise for some, but I remember how well food played an important part in these mysteries. What from the Holmes and Watson stories were you, were you able to focus on for this book? One of the things that struck me about Holmes is that he's, he's always on the go and he, he eats on the go a lot. And so mm -hmm. I, I wanted my Holmes menu to kind of, kind of, kind of reflect that. And also since it's for, it's a Halloween menu and Halloween parties tend to have like more finger foods or serve more like buffet style. Um, I wanted them to be like foods that you can like walk and eat. <laughs> and um, like like the, the scotch eggs are basically like they're a full English breakfast, like in a devil's egg. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a favorite of mine. <laughs> what did you include in there for the, um... The Charles Dickens portion of it, the Scrooge portion, what would you include for that, for the people that are, that haven't read the book and might be interested in getting it for the holidays? Um, let's see. I included, there was homemade applesauce, mm. onion and sage, roasted goose. Um, and for anyone who's new to cooking like a really big bird, it's, it's kind of a, a simplified version of that. There's just like a dry rub on, on the top and there's like aromatics for the stuffing. So it's, it's really, really easy to do. Um, there, there were also Duchess potatoes, which have cheese on the inside. Um, that was really fun. 
and then the dessert is their English their um, Christmas pudding profiteroles. So they're actually like a like a chocolate cream puff. They're they're made to look like little tiny um, Christmas puddings, but it's actually a chocolate uh, shoe pastry with a brandy pastry cream on the inside. And then it's got an, a white icing on top with cranberries and a little bit of mint to kind of approximate the holly. Now, I, I wanna ask you about the um, kind of the research process for this. Um, do you do a lot of um, experimental cooking for the, for the cookbooks uh, for your family? Uh, do they get to sample it? Do they ever go, oh, mom, we had Hobbit food yesterday. <laughs> They definitely, they get to try kind of like the Frankenstein version of a lot of things where I'll be like, okay, I'm testing this variable and this variable and this variable. <laughs> and I want you to tell me what you like. Um, my, my son really gets into, he loves bread, like, like hearty, crusty bread. And he's very highly reviewed the, um, the, nut bread, the, the red walnut bread. And it's walnuts, roasted garlic, and fresh rosemary in a soda bread. Mm, just, that sounds good. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> if nice. I do think so. And he just, he wanted it for breakfast like every day. Oh, wow. Get after my own heart. <laughs> what are some of the favorite recipes that you've made from your books? Do you have any that are you most proud of? Um... I am really proud of, of those little English pudding profiteroles because um, there's there's a lot of components that like, like developing a chocolate shoe pastry took time and then developing the pastry cream took time. So that that was a really big accomplishment. There were so many components that had to come together in a in a way that worked. Now I wanted to ask you. Um... If you could have like a d dinner party or a tea party with any five fictional characters from your the works you've uh, kind of written about, who would you invite to that uh, tea party? I would invite um, Sam Gamgee because he's my favorite Lord of the Rings character. He's great. And of course, you want a hobbit there because he's going to appreciate a good meal. Um, right. Joe March and Anne Shirley. Um, kind of for the same reasons. They they both like are great storytellers. They'd be great people to just have at any party. They'd be just so fun to talk to and swap stories with. Um, I would also want um, one of the beasts from Redwall, and um, one that's that's a little bit different from the rest. I would love Hercule Poirot to be there. Um, oh yeah, yeah. He's my favorite Agatha Christie character. And I would relish the challenge of cooking for him because he's a very picky eater. And so if yeah, I he's a foodie. Meal, yeah, if I can make a meal that Hercule Poirot likes, then I'm good at what I do. <laughs> very nice. That would be like the ultimate stamp of approval for me. So as a food writer, are there any food writers that you admire that you like to read? Oh, um, I love The Geeky Chef. I love her cookbooks. I love her blog hers is really great um there's also fiction food cafe is a blog that i really enjoy and 
Um, binging with Babish. Um, he has a YouTube oh. Yeah, he, he doesn't That's a good one. Stuff, but I do love the fiction stuff that he does. Yeah, I love I love his work so much. So Allison, what's next for you? I'm currently working on a self-published ebook um, coming out hopefully in March of next year. It's called A Literary Picnic. And it is five full menus of literary recipes that are perfect for, for picnics, for taking outside and enjoying. Um, I will be taking January and February off from my blog to finish this cookbook. So um, I'm really excited for it. My goal is to have it done by the end of March because I want it out before Easter. Even though it's a picnic cookbook, there's a Peter Rabbit menu in there that would be really perfect for Easter too. So I really want people to have that available. There's like little piped marshmallow bunnies and there's chamomile muffins and just it's, there's really good stuff in there that would be perfect for Easter. That sounds wonderful. Hopefully you can have you back on the program uh, to talk about that book as well. Before we let you go, I just want to ask you out of curiosity, um, what are you making for the holidays for food for your family? I am making uh, gingerbread cookies. In fact, I will be making Joe March's gingerbread from my cookbook. Uh, my kids love gingerbread. In fact, while I was testing that recipe for my um, tea time cookbook, um, I was my son was I think a year old, and I gave him one of the finished uh, gingerbread cookies just to kind of you know, gum and nibble on. And I turned around to take another tray out of the oven and I turned back and he had eaten the head, arms and legs off of the entire <laughs> That's high praise indeed. Yeah, he he's going to be so, I haven't told him yet that that's what we're making, but he, he and his sister are going to get to like decorate them and they're going to have so much fun. It's going to be exciting. Nice. Are you making a goose as well? I will not be making a goose. We are uh, going to my mom's for Christmas. And so nice. I will be I will be transporting. <laughs> well, Allison, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I love getting a chance to talk to you and I hope we can have you on again. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much. This was great. That was my interview with Allison Walsh. We have links to her book, the Literary Tea Party in the bio, as well as her wonderful website, Wonderland Recipes. Check them both out. You're going to love them. Now on Friday, we're going to have Priya Mani, who has the Instagram Visual Encyclopedia of Indian Foods. I really had a great time talking with Priya, and it was an honor. Um, we had a wonderful conversation, and we got to talk in depth about um, her project doing the Visual Encyclopedia of Indian Foods called Cookalore. Check that out on Friday. I hope you all have a wonderful week. And if you are um, you know, inclined, please share our interview links on social media. It really helps us spread the word and increase our audience. Um, I'm on all the basic uh, social media sites, and you can always just share those posts as well and join me there as well. I hope you all have a really great week and are having wonderful holidays. Um, next week, we're going to be having um, a whole week of Hanukkah-inspired um, interviews. Uh, starting off with uh, two authors that I really uh, enjoy talking to, Beth Lee and Faith Kramer, 
um, and you can listen to that next week. We'll have more information about that on Friday as well. Take care. Have a wonderful week. Keep on cooking. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.